everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life Live. Today we're going to be talking about angelic love, dialogue, and how to chase away devils. Who do these guys think they are? <laughs> well, I think I'm Curtis Childs, and I'm your host. What a good segue into my own introduction. This is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, Curtis. And uh, even if we are going to be talking about stuff that sounds relatively out there, mm. you're a doctor. That's true. So that means what we're telling That's you true. is going to be true. Yeah, Thanks, everybody, for, for spending some time with us today. What we're going to be doing is opening up a conversation around those elements. And what we always do on the show is we're going to paint a picture of a world that's large and goes beyond the currently accepted limits of reality, mm. but centers back into the things we deal with every day. Yeah, I like that. That we're trying to solve the problems of human communication that plague us, that that's what it's all about, and, we're, and, and showing how all that stuff out there is a part of a connected whole. Right? Mm. I mean, that's, that's not that bad. That it's not going to last, last that long, this show. What, 40 <laughs> minutes, 30 minutes? Right. Oh, no, an hour or something like that. Something like that. We did a show last week that was called Overcoming Divisiveness, and that's when things were getting pretty intense. Oh. Um, and, you know, you and I fought, right? Which is fine. That's what the people wanted. They wanted that's to right. know who would prevail. But this is something everybody's doing. <laughs> Everybody true. is having a hard time communicating. And so what we want to do here is see if we can't get somewhere better. And we're going to take the conversation we started there. We're going to open it up, take it to these different places, mm -hmm. angelic, demonic, everything in between. So we're going to do our standard um, jump through. We'll do some live Q&A. Okay. We will hear more from our experts, see people at, at the Dialogue Institute at Temple. We'll hear from a psychologist, everything that they want to add to the how do you dialogue conversation. And then we're going to do some live Q&A with you guys. So you'll, you'll have a chance to absorb information, find out what's wrong with it, and then ask us what, what we think we're doing, putting that on the internet. <laughs> Let's go. So we've got to start. I mean, we definitely aren't clicking, you and I, right now. So let's see if we can change that. And all of you at home can change <laughs> your own dynamics with the people you're watching with through our first segment, which is the icebreaker. So what we want to do, what everyone else is going to do, so we're going to participate in this okay. icebreaker as well. The point is let's get talking about something and warm up the vocal cords and, and see where we all connect because we want to know how is this stuff helping life? Because if we're right. sitting here dumping an hour's worth of information but it's not making life any better, it lowers the ceiling on the importance of the purpose of why we're doing it. So here's the question. What tools have helped you in getting past differences of opinion? Mm. Not, <clears throat> so not necessarily now we think the same, but how did you survive when you and somebody else had something that you were at odds about? Yeah, I mean, one thought that comes to mind is uh, just putting myself in the other person's shoes. And that can be difficult when you're angry or there's some sort of thing that you think is a boundary violation or something. But, but it's, it's easy as a, as a cliche to say, I'll just put, but hard in practice. Hard in practice, that's true. And wishing the other person well, uh, sometimes uh, I, when I'm cut off in traffic or something, I'll, I'll think, I, I, you know, I hope you go to the highest heaven. And, um, and interestingly, when I say that, Road range. I actually do feel like, yeah, that's totally what I wish for them. You know, I don't want some bad outcome, you know. Yeah. OK. And so it helps me crack through that. 
So you're trying to create this knee-jerk reaction to wish them the best spiritual future that they can have. That's right. That's awesome. And it helps sort of get a little perspective shift in there. Okay, mine is, well, mine is a cop-out. It's broad, but I just want to point out that all the, all the Swedenborg, all the material and mm. all those books that we talk about for this show, it all pulls away from the love of self-slash-power. Because when I'm in an argument, that the love of self that's active in all of us, the part of us that wants to be right, it cannot fathom anything other than you have to be right. There's got to be victory. Like that, there's got to be victory. There is no, there's nothing uh, edible in defeat. Um, and I would fight as hard as I can to be right. But everything about Swedenborg is saying you don't have to be, th this sense of I need to be right is the enemy in the argument. Mm. Because Ooh, yeah. whatever I'm arguing about with the person will pass, even right. if it's significant. My uh, love affair with myself, you know, needing to be better and, and dominant over others, that is the thing I'm here to get rid of. So that means something. And then, then th the, um, the fe feeling that I need to be as smart and um, competent and right a human being as I can be is juxtaposed with the call for humility and that humility has the promise of heaven inside of it. Mm. But I think those two nice. can, if I'm just, like I don't know if though you deploy those right when you're yelling at someone, but if I'm just thinking about an opposing viewpoint that people have, for me to be able to say, well, am I so sure that they're wrong and I'm right about it? And how can I approach this with humility? Only God actually knows the truth. Those things do chip away at, at the mm. problem. And as you're saying, sometimes you need to pull back from the situation, get a little distance, you know, just go in another room or something like yeah. that, you know, to sort of chill, say a prayer or something like that and get a little perspective. Because as you say, in the heat of the moment, sometimes your heart is racing, you know, it's hard to find those thoughts. But if you just step back and give heaven a little moment to catch up with you. It doesn't matter how much uh, Swedenborg, how many Swedenborg shows I do, uh, when when I'm in an argument, like I can feel like, I feel like a kid. You know, it's very hard not to be one, you know, like just to be childlike in right. not necessarily your words, but in your motives for those words. Right. It's tough. The one upping and all. Yeah. yeah. But right. it's when we pull, because I think that's when we're firmly entrenched in the outer self, right? Which, which isn't interested in um, being thoughtful and yeah or taking a backseat to anybody or anything that's yeah, right right that's doesn't right. want to get along and yeah so uh that's, that's so true that's what we do mm. what do you do have any of you ever been in an argument are there any principles we'd love to hear if they were swedenborg related but they don't have to be we just want to know what works so that's the icebreaker right and we'll hear those at the end of the show right we're going to we'll come get, back to those at the end of the show stuff. that sounds good thank you so much right. everybody yeah just enter them into the chat on youtube all right let's get to the main course here let's dive further into this we know the problem is this divisiveness yeah How, what are some tools to get us past it so uh -huh. here's part two you might think what's so bad about arguing i like arguing and right it, it never hurt anyone uh, what it does have kind of a you know, filthy joy in it somewhere. Like, I mean, there's an yeah. enjoyment that you can get out of it. Right. Wouldn't it be that this is not something we necessarily need to shed. It's just a helpful tool. But this is where the spirituality, the spirituality comes in. Because yeah. Swedenborg writes that, that actually that argument finds its essence or its primary expression in hell. 
literally. And this is Spiritual Experiences 5104. Mm. A certain spirit was sent down deep and to the place where they are constantly quarreling about everything and endlessly <laughs> contradicting each other and consequently there are endless fights and torn clothes. Man, that, that's, that's amazing. The thought that there's a particular place where it just it's like the storm on Jupiter that's been raging for 500 right. years. It just never ends. There too is the place of those who fight over matters of the church's doctrine. No. Believe it or not, really? even religious people, and unceasingly speak against each other, one after another, and who want to have control. Oh, that's, the, that's it, isn't it? Mm. Wanting to have control. That's, so you may think, oh, it's about ideas or it's about whatever, but actually it's about control. If you watched our divisiveness show, we had this keyboard and the keys were all fighting each other because right. they thought they were fighting over tonal differences, but it's actually just because every one of them, like every one of us at some level, wants to be in control. That's and right. That's the primary enemy. The mm. one over the other, believing that the things they say are truths and wanting others to believe and speak as... They, they do. <laughs> the results, of, I'm not just reading off the screen. The results of this are quarrels, arguments, and railings. And so they go and come back, still arguing and quarreling. Oh man, they're still arguing and quarreling on the way back. And certainly not in the least on account of truth, ah. but on account of themselves and the love of being in control. There so it's it not, re again. it may seem to masquerade as like, no, we've got to get to the bottom of this, you know, but no, that's not what it's about. And you never will get to that bottom of it. Yes. Because it's about control. You don't know for sure, but where there's smoke, there may be fire. The fire yes. in this case, the love of self. Closer right. to the center are those who believe they know everything and that nothing can be said that they do not know better than others. Ah, and that's the center of these communities. Which is, which is the, the worst of the worst. Yeah, they're the worst. Uh, hmm. And that's, the, that's what I love about Swedenborg. This is the world he describes. He says, you go out into the spiritual world where we're all grouped by what we love and care about. You see this thing that appears as a tendency in all of us yeah. to argue actually made manifest in a, a way of life there, which is this, and that that's, the places like that are where we get this urge to argue mm. from. Kind of frightening to think about where that comes from. Yeah. And it doesn't mean the people who are participating in arguing are going to hell or something like that, but it's just useful to know, oh, that's where that yes. influence comes from. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, you know, I don't know that all shoes are made in sweatshops, but just the fact that some of them are makes you really like, really scrutinize, you know, think about what it. you're getting. Same thing yeah. with if I feel like I really want to argue. You don't just go into that thinking, oh, it's all, it's all good. It's, it's all, all good. Plunge in. Yeah, no, plunge right. in. Right. No. So we have to avoid that trap. We need tools to do mm. it. It's not a simple thing to do. We had these cool guest speakers last week. They and were we wanted, great. We want to revisit some more of the interview that we got with them that we didn't show last week. The first is from Leonard Swidler, who's the founder of the Dialogue Institute at Temple University. And he is going to fill us in on some more on how to get this communication going. And he begins by defining the word dialogue. Ah. Thinking and talking together is what the word means. But it's not just that. The whole of reality is fundamentally dialogic. From the macro level, the, the greatest level, think of the whole cosmos. Uh, it, as Einstein put it in his immemorable uh, uh, words or word, letters, E equals MC squared energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So the whole cosmos is fundamentally a dialogue between energy and mass. 
if one swallowed the other, we'd have a big black hole, that's all. So the universe we have is this ongoing dialogue, energy, mass, back and forth. That's the macro level. The micro level, subatomic, um, it's the same thing. You have energy, the electron and the nucleus is what makes up uh, an atom. The simplest atom, of course, is hydrogen with one electron in its nucleus, but more and more electrons. The fundamental structure of the very universe at the micro level is dialogue. For it, one, one swallow the other, we have nuclear fission or fusion, explosion, destruction, or the opposite, a black hole. But it moves up. Think about uh, the human being. We are fundamentally a dialogue between body and spirit. Uh, if there is no sp spirit, that word comes from the Latin spiritus. It means breath. So if you have mass, the body, and no spirit, no breath, it's just a slab of meat. It's not a human being. So we, as humans, we are fundamentally the dialogue between body and spirit. When you think about it, how do I become a human person? It's fundamentally the dialogue between the individual and the community, whether the community is just mother and father, brother and sister, or whether it's the whole of the world. That's what makes us human. We cannot become human except in community. On the other hand, the, the purpose of the community is to foster persons. And so again, at every level, uh, Reality is dialogic. So when you and I or whoever have a dialogue and we come away from it and we say to ourselves, hmm, that really felt good. Of course it felt good because it was in synchronicity with the whole structure of all reality from the macro through to the minor mac, um, micro level. All of hmm. reality dialogues mm. and I would I think Swedenborg would jump to add the goodness and truth which is the, the the grand dialogue that he saw in everything what did you think of that it was great well first of all I gotta love somebody who quotes Latin like that that was just awesome but also the idea of that our humanity is sort of a variable function Yes. You know, and there are things that increase it and things that decrease it. He didn't talk about the decrease, but obviously the farther we get away from community or the more hostility, violence, and so on, that's moving away from truly human. And Swedenborg would agree with that, that human isn't something you're just automatically born with. It's more like when people call, you know, someone who did all sorts of grotesque crimes, they call him a monster. Yeah. You, you know, that, that's, that's not human, you know. Yes, that is interesting that Swedenborg as well paints human as a sort of a goal we want to try to achieve rather than yes. you, you get it, your, your card at your birth. Your birthright, yeah, yeah, that's right. right. And we actually did a couple of shows about that. First of all, we did a, we did a short clip, actually, called the, What It Means to Be Human. We, we quoted this uh, headline talking about these people who uh, bulldozed uh, a settlement of, uh, of homeless mm. people. 
and it was like, oh, this, this, the, the, it was human but inhuman. It's yeah. obviously a person. It's not like a crow that's driving the thing. Right. But the behavior, you think, oh, the, the lack of compassion. Is that's that inhuman. inhuman. Yeah. We did a whole sh- throwback show also. We called Becoming More Human because we had enough clips about this. Hey, can we stretch to be human? And, and there, Leonard is equating, um, you know, being charitable and willing to dialogue with, with being human. So uh, mm. that's that's something that's you know who doesn't want to be human? Yeah, right. I mean, human. That's is right. Cool. This is, we're going to go f- to our other friend from the Dialogue Institute. This is Rebecca Mays, uh, and she she is the education director at the Dialogue Institute at Temple, and she says that effective dialogue is hard without first establishing friendship. Mm. So while that may it seem like oh friendship, it's actually this crucial tool, and she's going to elaborate on it a little mm. bit more here. One of the first things I studied with Professor Swidler were the principles for dialogue that he wrote down um, in the 1980s uh, out of his long experience. Those are available on our website and are the foundation for our program work. It is complex, and so I understand why many people don't want to risk dialogue. And so one of the first questions that gets raised is what do you do when someone doesn't want to dialogue? One of the first principles of the 10 is it is a two-sided project and takes into account the whole cloth of a person, their culture, their their lineage, um, their professions, and therefore it has to be voluntary. There has to be a voluntary choice. And that doesn't happen always right away. So we encourage friendships. We make um, affinity groups in the cohorts that come so they can feel safe and comfortable with the people they feel most attracted to or safe with. And then we begin to work on the differences, um, saying to the young people, building a friendship is the first step to dialogue. Um, Just be kind and learn from one another. Once trust is established and some safety is there, then we begin to go to other of the principles um, that include uh, things like be able to be self-critical about your own um, tradition and ask questions. We use a little mnemonic with the kids um, called AIR, and that is the oxygen of dialogue. Um, Appreciative inquiry, A for that, um, that you're willing to ask a good question without listening to argue, but listening to learn. I for an I statement, one of the principles is that each person is to remain sincere and honest and so has to speak from his or her story, his or her experience in a way that is non-combative. And R, the final um, letter, stands for reflective listening, that out of shared stories, one could actually have listened so well as to say back to the other person, um, here's how I heard you. And just that reflection can sometimes be the most powerful act of trust building, that someone felt heard. Great tools. 
Uh, you, you know, you think sound. The, some of them would seem simple, but the the spin she puts on them, or the the application, and just highlighting the importance. You just realize that these this is something you can't miss when you're trying to do that yeah. friendship thing. And so connecting with people as a basis of starting that, so develop that friendship. Yeah. Uh, because I think there is something in the human spirit that wants to connect with people, but there are all these barriers and problems. Yeah, and it's interesting that she's saying that, that it's, principles are important, but friendship has to be this sort of bedrock or this first yes, step. That's because right. that Swedenborg probably doesn't talk about anything more than mm. the importance for, of love being the driver and faith or ideas or wisdom or whatever being the secondary his, unit. His middle name, only in Swedish. And to prove that this is middle name in Swedish, we have quotes, five quotes that illustrate this. Mm. We're going to run through them, and this is just a selection. There are many more, but he gives fascinating extra facts in each one. Charity means love for our neighbor. It means mercy, too, since if we love our neighbors as we do ourselves, we have mercy on them when they are suffering, as we would on ourselves. Mm. So you see the compassion there. That's yeah, great. That's essential. Mm. And he goes on, all togetherness and unity are the result of charity while all dispersal and disjunction come from a lack of charity. Oh, well, there's your diagnosis right there, right? Yeah, rather than, oh, you have the wrong ideas. It's, it's missing that. What, yeah, that the charity is the element. That right. we just defined in the previous quote, what purpose is there to faith or to the facts, insights, and teachings of faith, except that we may become what faith teaches us to be? That should be on a t-shirt. That's good. <laughs> That's right. Like this run over onto the back. The devil's crew is nearby, and this is the very quote we got Ooh. part of our show title from. The devil's crew is nearby when we lack charity. Oh, that's chilling, isn't it? The only thing that chases them from the door is love for the neighbor, for the Lord, and for our neighbor. Mm. So love for the Lord and love for the neighbor are s such powerful you know, medicine, whatever yeah. you want to call it. it. It'll drive those evil things away. And Swedenborg means this literally. I mean, he's saying that heaven and hell are trying to, always trying to take up real estate in our mind. You know, the devil on the shoulder. Yeah, that's right. And the devils on the shoulder are the ones who want to push into argument and divisiveness and everything else that causes harm and upset. And the only way to get them off is through love. It's the not only through... Way. It's not through finding the right ideas or agreeing on those ideas. Yeah. You have to have this charity first, which means you're coming at the discussion from love, and that's what does it. Next, mm. when we deprive ourselves of charity, we cut off ourselves off from the Lord. Wow. Charity, love for others, and mercy is the only thing that binds us to the Lord. Without charity, there is disconnection. It's almost as if the Lord is love itself. <laughs> I don't know. You could I'm, almost think that. From I'm not sticking like my neck out saying that. Yeah. Next one. Bodily life is such that one cannot progress beyond loving the neighbor as oneself, being engrossed in bodily concerns. So, okay, so that's loving the neighbor the same as yourself. Right. Like when you're in bodily life, you, that's, that's the, as far as you can go with that. Thing. So that would be, hey, oh, here comes a plate of cookies. You know what? I'm going to give Jonathan five of these, and I'm going to take five because I want to share with him. I know I'd yeah. like them. So that's where right. we can get here. That's but as far as we can get. When yeah. these have died out, bodily mm, concerns. Bodily right? concerns. Then love is more pure and finally becomes, title alert, angelic love. What's mm. angelic love? Which is to love others more, more than oneself. Than oneself. What is that, like six or seven cookies or something? Yeah, or <laughs> like, me? man, he would be so excited to get this full plate. <laughs> it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Uh, yeah, right. So that, that's something that we're working toward. That, that yeah. is what 
heaven is. And not heaven like I've fulfilled the requirements so now I can get into heaven. That is what bliss is, is what happiness is. Yeah. This desire to have other people, to, to have, and not like, okay, I'd be happy if I made myself miserable, so now technically you're happier than me. That's not, it's not about me in comparison to you. It's just that I'm solely focused on how can I get people to be happy, that that mindset is what creates the most happiness and peace for hmm. us. And I've heard that angels would rather go to hell themselves. It would mean that you could go to heaven. You know, like oh, yeah. they, not you personally. But, you know, I, I but, don't think there's enough angels but, for that. But, <laughs> but it's such a beautiful thought to me. Yeah. That they, you know, you'd think, oh, well, they're all about being in heaven and staying in heaven. They're like, oh, I would, I would give it up if I thought you could go. Yeah. You know, that would make you me could so think happy. Like, well, I'm an angel. I have purity, and that's why <laughs> I have my home in heaven. I will not share it with. They're, yes. You know, they're not thinking about it's any themselves at all. They're good like, angel accent. Right. I don't, I don't know if that's north or south heaven um, or maybe lower east side. But so we've got this. We know it's important to, to have love rather than have conflict. And, that, 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 and understanding when we get in there, it's not just purely, well, they're right or I'm right and they're wrong. And that's why I want to argue realizing there's this desire for dominance. But what if we're already there? We're already in conflict. Uh, what are the <coughs> tools once you're in there? And it's not something superficial that it's easy to toss aside. What if it really feels important? Right. Well, so we got an... It's really deep and, uh, yeah, right. It's an extension mm -hmm. of our clip interview with Dr. Sony Werner, a psychologist who's going to give us some more tools for, okay, what do we do? We're already embroiled in our conflict. What do we do now? So we've had agreeing to disagree that we just might have different opinions. Presenting a tough issue, if you think it's the right time and place and it's appropriate for you to bring up a tough issue. Sometimes issues are not really needing to be brought up. But if they are, how do you do it in a charitable way that's respectful to oneself as well as respectful to the other? Okay. Discovering other viewpoints other than your own. And this next one is my favorite. Firm, fair, friendly. Now we're starting to move into some action. So if I have to, let's say, implement a policy, maybe I'm um, a leader of an organization or I'm a president of a club or in my place of employment. I have to decide how to figure out how to be firm about policies, fair, treating every person that I'm dealing with evenly and fairly, and yet friendly. Now, I find that it's interesting that we all seem to have personalities that we're born with, and we might be really good at one of those three by nature. Like, I think I was born being kind of friendly, and I was encouraged to be friendly when I was little. But I've had to learn when is it appropriate to be firm. And I mean firm to a policy or something that I think is a truth that should be lived up to, like honesty at the workplace, treating people fairly. Those are policies. And fair, I shouldn't have favorites. I was a college professor for decades and it was very important that I didn't have a favorite student. So as an adult, it takes a lot of emotional maturity to not have favorites and to be fair. So to me, this again takes a lot of deliberate planning and being purposeful. This is how I'm trying to enact charity. This is how I'm trying to do it. This is the skills that I'm trying to do. So being mindful, first of all, the self-examination. Oh, it's easy for me to be friendly. Okay, but that's not enough. You really need all three. Firmness to a principle or a truth that you think is really important 
and select those carefully. Not just because it's my ego, but because a truth stands outside of me that I need to be faithful to. And how I treat humans and not just have favorites and give them um, an easy way of getting through things and letting them slide. When it's actually not very charitable to do so for them as well as somebody else. Whenever, whenever you feel like you need to be involved in something that could lead to conflict, it's important to figure out how to be friendly, kind, how to be firm, holding up a principle or a truth, and how to be fair. The fifth of these five skills is called encouraging initial actions. Let's take some examples. Uh, recently, the Olympics happened, and I thought at a global level it was quite interesting that some very small steps happened between North Korea and South Korea. The sister of the leader showed up. Some of the young athletes, the female athletes, got to join in with the South Korean athletes and join a team. Those are initial actions that have not happened for 70 years. In another part of the world, I find it interesting that um, there are places where schools are being built for girls. High schools, where for thousands of years there were no high schools for girls. And now we have girls who are able to finish high school and get employed. Somebody had to change the culture in order for those initial actions to happen. Those are examples at a global level. You can also do them at a local level in your family. I think of an example of uh, when my husband or I, or me and my daughters, we've had an argument and there's still kind of tension in the air. That pretty soon gets around to the time that everybody's hungry and we're gonna sit down and be civil to each other at the table. Pass the salt. Would you like some more meat? Would you like some salad? And going back to those civilities, we can get along. Very important. Another example is in a, a government where you might have people who have been in the industry world and now they're in the government world. And they might bring a perspective about economics. They might bring some ideas that might be very useful. If you're gonna have government policies that are gonna affect those companies, such as OSHA, the safety and health, they might say, this is what it's really like to have a factory. And let's see if we can talk to the people instead of having animosity between the government regulation or regulators and the industry that has to have clean water and not do any dumping. Let's sit down together and talk this out and see if we can come up with some regulations that are manageable. So I see it both at political levels, as well as at a family level, as well as with neighbors. It's a very important thing to say, we are gonna mindfully take some initial actions to see, is there a way that we can understand each other? So in summary, I find that theology, especially from Swedenborg, gives me sort of a motivation to try to be my best self, to try to be deliberate and purposeful, to try to follow the guidelines of charity in that we need to first stop our tendencies towards something that's rather selfish or dominating others, and then try to deliberately start doing something constructive. I think one thing of many that we could potentially pull out of that is the idea that goodwill, this charity, doesn't mean just agreeing with everyone or trying to please everybody. 
Yeah, just sort of being a doormat or just, I will have it your way or something. Yeah, right. No, no, and this is something that, that Swedenborg talks about as well. Secrets of Heaven 1178. Loyalty is not charity. And this is, this is like intense stuff. Politeness, still less so. That's quite mind-boggling because you could think, hey, I'm being so loyal to this person, that's charity. Or I'm just so, so yes. polite. But he's, no, that's not the whole story. The more they partake of charity, though, the more authentic they are. Because you think of uh, Sony's describing the, the politeness they had to return to at yes. the table being a step back to this actual love. Right. If it was, if you all had seething hatred for each other all the time, but you just were polite at the table, it doesn't have that doesn't same Doesn't quite get to that meaning. level of right. charity or goodwill that Swedenborg Yes, charity is really looking at the long term, what's best for everyone, and how mm. can we get there? And this is such an important topic that this is reflected in all kinds of sacred texts, including the Bible. We did a show once about the four horsemen, which you would think, why would we ever bring the four horsemen from the book of Revelation into a show about dialogue? But there's a good reason for them to be there, and that's because of correspondences, right? That's right. And uh, so in the book of Revelation, John sees these four horses, and the first one is white, mm -hmm. then the second one is red, the third one is black, and the fourth is pale. There they are. And these mean a decline. Like, the first is a good state, actually. Yeah. People think they're all negative. But no, right. the first is a good state, and then you go downhill, and it has everything to do with divisiveness. Let's walk through them real quick. You can see our show if you want to get into it more. But each horse has this particular meaning. The white horse is really about... Uh, you know, love and wisdom together, opinions connected with kindness, which, which when you have those, that's really effective in conquering negativity and problems. He goes out conquering and to conquer, right. doesn't he? Whereas the red horse is when you start to divide that truth or those opinions from kindness and you make the, the opinions more important and suddenly you're into a more combative mode and he has that sword and he's going to take away peace from the earth. And then when you uh, start to deteriorate even further from there, you get to where the facts that have been separated from kindness get, start to get sloppy and inaccurate because there's no longer any real fidelity to truth. The life goes out of the truth, doesn't it? Yes. You, yeah, right. Eventually. For the sake of, the, the whole point is winning arguments so you're going to be loose with the facts just so you can come out on top in any mm. situation. And the pale horse is that this eventually results in a blatant hatred, you know, an opposite of love, yeah. which is spiritual death. And it says that death is riding that horse and hell is following behind. It's a spiritual death that you're talking about. And hell, we're warned that hell's coming behind that. So that's sort of how you go downhill. Yes. And, mm. and interesting that the spiritual death, according to Swedenborg, you think of death as the loss of the ability to move and do things, right? You, you right. become inert. But Swedenborg is saying that you can have this fiery hatred, but that is death. Because right. The, the re true life is love and charity, and the, the absence of that is death. Well, for a, for a po so that's this downward spiral, but right. for a positive picture, there's another show that we did called End Times and Jesus Christ, where we get this description that, again, is about intense stuff, but it's actually about what to do when things start to, to go bad. Ah, so if you find yourself down there at the end of that you know, yeah. with a pale horse or something. Here's how to get out of that situation, Ad right? Advice if you're riding a pale horse. So it begins with this quote. It says, uh, Then those in Judea shall flee into the mountains. And this is talking about the end of times, as the title says, okay. right? And that the, the advice is that we're supposed to flee into the mountains. The mountains mean heavenly love. When times, when push comes to shove, head for a place of higher love. That's what that's oh, about. Okay. 
That, that makes sense. All right, but this next one, surely there's no meaning to this. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Mm. What, what, just jump off the roof? Like on, on the literal level, that sort of sounds like you're not going to have time or it's going to be all nuclear and yes. bad or something like that. But Swedenborg says that what that actually means is that the house is a picture of your own mental viewpoint. Yeah. And so if you go down to your own perspective, you'll be descending into device, divisive opinions and so better to go up into the mat like don't go down into your own mm. house right. you know right well and this last one it says let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes so I that's took my, weird no, that took has my no jacket off that has no meaning I, I don't know what that is so no, what's what's going on here well actually this is another symbol clothes are often a symbol of thoughts and truth and things like that it's another symbol of your own opinions so don't grab for your own opinions in some tense situation. Again, the mountains are where you want to be. You want to be in love of the Lord. You want to be in love of the neighbor. Not in those. Not in your own yes. bunker. You know. And it's fascinating to think about a, a story like that can be having such piercing insight into mm. the stuff we go go through every day and we yeah. deal with in our modern world, like in every iteration of the modern world that came before us. But you don't have to take our word for the Swedenborg correspondency kind of things. Jesus Christ is constantly talking about this stuff. He got pretty plain about this. For example, he? he says, don't judge in Matthew 7.1. Okay. Anyone who says you fool is in danger of hellfire. Yeah. That, okay. I'm not going to call anyone a fool now. First, go and be reconciled. That's right. Hmm. Settle matters with your adversary quickly, he says in the next verse. It's all yep. about making up. Uh, the next one, love your enemies, pray for those, oh, even those who persecute, or you could even say who that's argue with That's a difficult practice, you. but yeah. ooh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the graduate level right there. Mm -hmm. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? We would call echo chamber, the, uh, that's preaching right. to the choir, uh, which is great to have people, but if, if that's all you do, if you're friendly yeah. to those people, hate everyone you're else. Never reaching outside of that comfort group or something. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Difficult. Yes. Difficult, but, but it's not as though the teaching is unclear. Well, and again, as I have loved you, so you must love mm -hmm. one another. That we have to, because I would rather argue and be right than all this love. But <laughs> hey, if it's there that many times all throughout, there's got to be a reason. Yeah. And the reason is that's heaven. You know, and arguing leads you down into hell. You so if you want heaven, those are some ways to get there. That's you right. don't have to take it. Yes. Again, it's not that there'll never be differences of opinions or disagreements, but just know like the essence of heaven is love and you find this bitter arguing in hell. Mm. So that, that stuff. And it seems so crucial to have a ladder, like when you're in the pit, yeah. how do you get out? You right. know, that's uh, what are the steps? That's very good. So there's some steps, and that's the last step of our journey in this section here. Did it inspire any of you with any questions, or has anything got you wondering about anything? That's what the next section is for. It's time for the Q&A. Okay, this is just what it sounds like. If this is your first time you're watching on YouTube, Get asking a question. Type your question in right now. We have a moderator in there pulling these questions up. We obviously haven't seen them before, and we're going to act shocked when we see them um, <laughs> because we will be shocked. Let's yeah. see what the very first question is. 
Mary Richards asks, what did Emanuel Swedenborg say about what a person should learn when they are an innocent victim of violence? Wow. So we're going to start us with the hardest question. But I will say that um, Swedenborg has this broad principle that divine providence doesn't allow for anything to happen unless something good comes out of it. That said, I wouldn't say there's only, it wouldn't always be you would understand the providence. Like it's not like, it's not a guarantee that something horrible has happened to me. I will be able to piece together something that this was a teaching lesson for me. It's a little more like there can be, that can be the case and there's probably always ways to learn. But, but I want to avoid the making it seem like Swedenborg is saying God is doing this thing or letting this thing happen to you and saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand what I'm teaching you from this? Sometimes it's just you're part of this bigger story and and it's hard to understand. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes it can take decades or even after you die to figure out what yeah, you know, what was going on there? What right. what what was going on there? Uh, another thing is related to those quotes that we read before, that the development of compassion through suffering. When you suffer, when you really really suffer in a deep way, you sort of wish no one else had, in a way, that anyone had ever gone through this or will ever go through it again. But the fact is that people go through this stuff, and so it does help you have compassion for other people who go through that. And so that can be a useful thing that comes out of it. And also Swedenborg is pretty adamant about the idea that evil comes from hell. He kind of hammers this again and again and again. It doesn't come from that other person. Mm. It doesn't come from that perpetrator. That perpetrator may have been channeling it from hell. But that's that evil is from hell. And it's certainly not your fault that you were right. the victim of it, which is another place that hell wants you to go, is to think, right. oh, it's my fault, I brought this on myself. But but Swedenborg keeps saying, you know, evil comes from hell, good comes from the Lord. That's, you know, try to get clear about that. You're, you're uh, in the middle between those things. I think, too, about Swedenborg's assertion that <clears throat> part of what we have to do to fully let evil go, meaning uh, regenerate, move to heaven in our mind, get rid of our own evils we're um, drawn towards, is to learn to abhor evil. Yes. we have a tendency to... That's right, that's right. ...to kind of like evil when it works out well for us. I think of, you know, it's easy to laugh at people when something harmful happens to them. You know, if we see like a clip of something happens to somebody or we, we, we know somebody went through something, this can be something that we can be, in, in the worst case, we're kind of, you know, we, we think that's cool. And, but even we're just kind of cold and we don't care. If you've been through something sort of like that, isn't that where all the force to say, no, this is not okay that this is happening to this person. You don't like it anymore. Even just mm. if you had never skinned your knee you would never understand right. empathy for someone else who fell. So, and as you're suggesting, it gives you understanding of evil. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of the 23rd Psalm where it says, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies," yeah. not the absence of the enemies. Right. That when you go through something terrible like that and you really see evil in the face, uh, the Lord is also there somewhere preparing mm-hmm. a table for you. You know, yeah. wants to be with you right there in that experience. 
Yeah, and that if you, you learn through experience that like I I know what evil the effect of evil is, it even helps you see other evils. Like, well, I don't want to make. I can see that this is related, way. or this yeah. is going in that direction, or something by seeing the extreme. Yeah, because a lot of what we're doing in this life is seeing evil in ourselves, in other people, and and you know that's. Yep. That's a big part of the experience, isn't it, unfortunately? Not that any principle is going to make it easy to get through having something terrible done to you. Mm. Um, but hopefully it can just be one tool of, of many. So yeah. thanks so much for the question. Let's look at our next one. And the one. Lord was the oh. ultimate innocent victim of evil, <laughs> you know, right? Right. You know, it's, uh, so he knows what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not a forgotten abnormality in, right. in the experience. Uh, okay, thanks, Mary. Next one. Zeke asks, can you have productive dialogue with ah, evil? This is a good question. I have an answer. You want me to yeah, go ahead. jump in? Swedenborg says that a lot of people were shocked. He says a lot of people who transitioned to the other world, their general approach was to avoid evil spirits. Just avoid them. Stay away from them. Yeah. Don't listen to them. Don't interact with them. And they were sort of shocked that here's Swedenborg writing these books and everything, and he's surrounded at pretty much all times by thousands of evil spirits. And they were sort of like, yeah. what are you doing? You know? Yeah. And he said that if you are protected by the Lord, and that's a big if, but if you're protected by the Lord, it's not only not harmful, it is beneficial. A lot of what he got was through interaction with evil spirits. Mm -hmm. They taught him a lot about, you know, I, an example from the New Testament is who had the most clarity about who Jesus was. Was it the, was it the disciples? Was it the strangers? Mm. Was it the demon possessed? You know, like the demons cry out, say, I know who you are. You know, right. the demons have the clarity. Uh, and, and so uh, under a situation of, of um, uh, protection, it is absolutely possible to have a productive dialogue with it. Yes, I see two ways. Productive that I... for you. I don't know, you know, I don't know about for both sides. Of oh, right, 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 right. You know. The ways that I feel like I dialogue with evil, like, like we said in the previous show, I've never had what I would say is an interaction with a spirit or something. Mm. But in my own mind, I feel like there's two systems of dialogue that I have, or two sets of dialogue that I have with evil, meaning negative thoughts and feelings. That one is when I engage and lose terribly, when it's sort of like I'm thinking about some issue in my life or some situation that's disturbing me. Mm -hmm. Is making me feel small or um, worried or upset or angry or nervous or something. And I begin to try to provide reasons against why that thing should scare me. Like, well, uh -huh. I, I did this and there's this and that. And I just, whatever I say gets twisted against me by yes. my own thoughts and feelings. Right. And I just go lower and lower and just gets worse and worse. The flip side of that is when I am just at my own thoughts and feelings that are coming in sort of like trumpeting my spiritual truth like the divine providence I've, all mm. the stuff i learned um from swedenborg and other sources like whenever that stuff is coming in i'm almost given like a mini sort of sermon in my head and that's really working well and i think the difference between those two states is sometimes it's just mood and i can't control it but it's really coming from the word versus not coming from the word interesting yeah very very interesting and sometimes i find that it's um Something just won't go away until I listen to it. Like really listen, sort of in the way that we were hearing about today about dialogue and so on. Mm -hmm. Just e even if it's some crazy, insane thought of like, I'm jealous of so-and-so because they got this and that probably means they hate me. And I, you know, just hear, you know, rather than shutting out, 
hear it out, you know, mm -hmm. just sort of hear, hear what it's saying uh, can be useful to being able to then move away from that or evaluate it or something yeah. like that. And, and you can try to sort of pray it away and la, 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 I don't hear it or something. Yeah. But, but sometimes you really have to just listen to what it's saying. So ultimately what it's really saying is a lot of the time, I want control over you. Yeah. That I'm coming in like I have an issue, but it's really that love of dominion that we were talking about earlier. Right. So if I hear some thought say, look, this, this, and this, and this, then at that point I would say, well, it's heaven to want better for others than for myself. So if, the, if this person uh, if it has something that I should be, I should be happy, I can't go to heaven and not be happy for what they've got that's better than me. So be that, that sort of thing is when right. I'm like, okay, here's something, because well, the, the, yeah. the, the negativity is allergic to that. So a yeah, couple, couple of thoughts on that. Um, thanks very much. Zeke, here's the next one. Crystal Light 7 asks, so what do we do when the person you're dealing with is very unkind? Mm. Well, you just let them do whatever they want and say whatever they want. <laughs> That's not true. Because, and this is an, a crucial point to bring up that I'm, I'm glad was, it doesn't, having charity doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. And you can be, Swedenborg d talks about getting somebody thrown into prison, but that's still being an act of charity. Because it's about your intent, like there can be, you can get, you can get somebody thrown into prison because you hate them and you want them to suffer. Or you can get somebody thrown into prison because they're dangerous and they've broken the laws of the, the realm. So, and, but, and you're thinking ultimately about protecting innocent people, their reformation eventually, and in the end, if they shaped up, you'd be their friend. You can have those two different mindsets, but yet do the same action. So it doesn't mean you can't cut somebody off from talking with you. It doesn't mean you can't defend yourself in whatever way you need to. It's all about um, when you step back from the conversation, what's your ultimate intent, right? Mm. Yeah, and I find this so, so difficult when someone's just so unkind. And when you're working hard at, at being kind or being a decent yeah. person, and it's just this foul stuff coming at you all the time. It's very, very difficult. If I work on that a long time, sometimes I can get to the point where I realize, wow, I get in that mood sometimes. You know, sometimes I'm that way myself. This person seems to be that way all the time, you know, like mm -hmm. they're in a prison of that. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I can get to the point of just trying to look at it objectively. Another thing that's helped me doesn't come from uh, Swedenborg. It's actually Ed Friedman and Family Systems Oop, you Theory. You can't say it on this show then. That says uh, a copyright issue, intellectual <laughs> property. But that criticism is a form of pursuit. I don't know if he originated that, but, right. but uh, sometimes when there's a sort of an unpleasant nasty noise coming at me and my whole instinct is to run actually if i move closer to it it, it wants to be in more of a relationship in a strange way and sometimes you you move you know it can be very you know you have to be really careful with a situation like that but but sometimes moving closer or just at least realizing criticism is a form of pursuit mm -hmm. you know you're getting all this negativity but actually it means i want to be in a relationship with you and you're not paying enough attention to me and right you know which is still a dysfunctional way to absolutely pursue it. it's horrible yeah. but i'm glad that Terrible. you that you brought up like okay we got to talk about family systems theory and because i would say what we're trying to say on the swedenborg and life show is you need to pursue the state-of-the-art tools 
for conflict resolution, mm. for all that. The, the, the spiritual right. side of it, that God is love, that the heaven is wishing better for others, that doesn't mean that that stuff is not essential and useful. What we're trying to look at is the reasons behind using those tools. Why does it work? Why does yeah, it work? Yeah, yeah. And, right. and why, if we get all these tools to stop this person, let's say this person is unkind and they're messing with our life, why do we want them out? You know, is it we want them out just because we hate everybody that bothers us or does we just or is it just like okay this is the step right now but i can i'm still thinking about how can i be kind towards this person even if that's firm which may not seem like a realistic distinction but i I think it i think you can measure that in yourself i I think the hardest thing in the world is to love people wisely you know and to figure out it takes a lot of prayer and consideration to think what would be you know, what's the best way to treat this person for their own sake and for my sake and for the sake of what's orderly and good, you know? And I don't feel like I would, I would even pretend that I would be able to do that in the moment. Right. Like if somebody Oh, no, I'd, I'd have like, to go back and chart a strategy and If something. somebody's, no. you know, right, doing something crazy on the road or they're yelling at you in the grocery store or something like that, I... I feel like that's just fight or flight. You, know, you try right. your best. You, if, you, if you're in those kind of conflicts a lot, maybe you can get, get really good at that. What I would realistic expectations for myself would be more like after the fact or when I have time to contemplate right. my next step, that's when these principles... Because I, I, I don't want to set this unrealistic standard of that, that I'm, you know, I'm Curtis, the host of this show, and if... If you were to say something terrible to me, that I would just wisely think of them. You know, I I react like anybody else would. But it's when we have some some time and space. Hopefully, then we can let these principles in. So if on. it's a repeated interaction, you know, sometimes I've taken it, and I'll sit down with a piece of paper and try to figure out. And I might sit there for two hours without a coherent thought, or a bunch of the thoughts are bad or vengeful yeah. or something like that. But eventually, with enough prayer and, and time, I might get to something like, oh, that's actually kind of funny and makes me lighthearted, mm. but also deals with the situation, or whatever yeah. it is. But Two hours without a coherent thought. I think we're creeping up on one hour without a coherent <laughs> thought. We are going to take a couple more. Just uh, one more question here. One more, okay. Uh, let's see what we got for the last one. Brian Bagnell asks, is there an argument when both sides <laughs> listen to the other. So that is really good. That, that's so, a good so question. The question is, can you still? So you could take this could as. Could you still call that an argument or something? When there's, yes. or is all argument by definition the absence of that? Listening? So semantics. What do we mean by this? Because yeah. it seems to me what we are trying to say in the in the device of this show that we're basing this one off of is. We're not trying to say we all think the same. Actually, if you get down to it, you and your adversary have the same thoughts. Mm. And not trying to say it's all love, ideas don't matter, and all ideas are ultimately compatible if you just add enough love. I don't think that's true. Well, and here I got smoking gun evidence for you. Okay. Swedenborg says in Heaven and Hell that there are law courts in heaven. There are law courts, mm-hmm. like there are lawsuits, there's trials. Yeah. yeah, you know, like two well-meaning angels 
can sort of be whoops, hey, what? Wait a minute, no, you're yes. in a mess here, and that, no, that's not right. You know what you yes. did. You know the fact that there are law courts up there means that even very more advanced people, yeah. uh, you know, than the poor hosts of this show, uh, can get into disagreements and that's right. and disputes that need to be settled by someone. You know, yeah. honest, hard-working people can still come to a very different point of view that needs to be resolved. Yeah, and I I feel like. I could see if you were disagreeing with someone and you, but you got to see that charity in the disagreement. Like yes, I right. remember, ah, like I remember early on in this channel, um, getting a comment that was something like, "Well, I don't believe in God or whatever, but I love to just have a beer with Curtis." Yes, right. And I like that. That's because great. Because that's you know you so you have this different idea and I don't respect that idea. I mean like I don't believe it's true and I'm not going to and you're not convincing me. But but let's hang out. Yeah. Um, right. I feel like that right. that even if it was still technically an argument, that is awesome because it show it shows the love through the ideas. So I think that's whether it's an argument or not, I'd be happy to leave everything. That's as far as we go, that's fine with me. Yeah, and certainly loving relationships can have very intense and heated disagreements or, or difference of perspective yeah. or misunderstanding and so on. And, and so I, I, think, I think you still can have yeah. something I might call an argument, even when both sides are, are listening to the other. Um. We have been trying to give out Swedenborgian advice. Yeah. To these questions, no medical. Uh, no, 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 no. This is purely. No. This is the FDA has not approved right. this. Right. So, I want to hear: Have other people had any success with tools like this? Ah. You know, does it work in situations? Because, as you remember, in the beginning, we did our icebreaker question. Now it's time to see what were your answers to it. We're going to do that in our final section. So I was wondering, well, we have no slides? It was, it was nobody helped by this? But no, we do have some responses, and we're going to get to them right this second. What are the tools that help you? Respect. Mm. Humor, which you mentioned. Oh, humor's a good one, yeah. Humor and patience. Mm. Telling myself not to let my ego take it personally and wondering what my angelic friends would ask me to do. I used to have a sign by my door that said, don't take yourself personally. <laughs> I like this idea. Picture a angels with you. Just doing that as a thought experiment certainly mm -hmm. does. I feel like I've, I've done not that exact, but something close to it, and definitely does change. Like, what if there was an actual adult in the room? Yeah, right. <laughs> Accepting that we are different and respecting our differences and letting go of things. Mm, letting go. This That's is how I deal with it. Awesome. Mm. Next, we can agree to differ and be respectful of each other's opinions. That's right. Humor, put myself in their place, which we were mentioning before. Try not to take it personally. Walk away, let them figure it out or think what they want. And this, not take it personally too. The, the whole taking it personally, that would be our love of self is what yes, takes it personally. that's right. So these people are describing Sweden getting around has that. some quote about what is more easily ruffled than, yes. you know, than the love of self. Yep. Listening to the reasons for the other person's opinion is a tool I like to use. Because mm. you're starting to get into learning. That's deep listening of what, what lies, what the reasons yeah. why that person feels that way. That's and right. not just what do they think, but why do they think why it. Why do they think and it. And Swedenborg says that angels are only interested in the why. 
not mm. even in the what. To know that only God knows what is in another's heart, no spiritual judgment, not judging and leaving my ego behind leads me through adversity. Mm. Awesome. Next, last one, write in my journal and just breathe. Breathing's good. <laughs> Blank my mind and say, love your enemy, because Jesus does too. Nice. Good. When I'm in an argument with my wife, I know I have 100% responsibility for getting us into this place. Yeah, not 50-50. Yes. 100%, each 100%. Well, yeah, I, I and like I know that. that too, right, that, that you, that we just feel like, okay, I'm going to say that even though there's always two sides, but yeah, I'm going at it with this is, this is me doing this. How right. do I help get out? Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the like love, love another more than yourself. That's like, right. I'm going to go at this 100%. That's great. Ask God to ha- help take my bad feelings away that I don't want to feel that way. And he does. And it gets easier every time. Then I start to see myself in others' actions too. Interesting, oh, the turning to God, good. like admitting that there's God and God is, we need help from God, right. starts to build this empathy for people because God is love for other yes. people. Yeah, and that's another concept that helps me is just thinking about, hey, they're the center of the universe to God. Yeah, and I'm just a bit player on their stage. You know, it's it's all the same type of thing that we're talking about. So you're all the center of the universe to God and to us. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to hang out with us. I appreciate you you, uh, dialoguing with us for an hour. If you don't mind, like and subscribe. Well, only if you actually liked it. If you subscribed, click the bell. Otherwise, you'll never know when a new video comes out. And isn't that why you subscribed in the first place? If you want to help make shows like this one possible, consider entering a financial dialogue. Uh, was that corny or what? Oh, uh, Patreon.com slash off the left eye. It's a w- place where you can just, for a low monthly pledge of a, uh, just a dollar or more, you can help make this pro- possible. We're a nonprofit, and so we need stuff like that. And we happen to have this amazing situation with a matching grant right now. So if you put in a dollar, we will get a five to one match on that with new Patreon pledges New or Patreon pledge. or an increased existing pledge. That's so, right. So you can do a little that will really help us a lot. And you've already helped us a lot by just being here watching the show. And uh, we love having you here. And we're glad to, to be able to try to get past all of our differences together. Next week, we're going to be doing a show about resurrection, death. Mm. Why is death a part of life? Why death? Yeah. Because... If God made the whole universe, why did he forget to take death out of there? Is there something? Why do we go through these cycles? Can anything positive be pulled out of it? Mm. We're going to delve deeply into that. Mm. And I can't wait to see you there and can't wait to see all of you. Uh, Tune in. That'll be the same time this channel next week. Swedenborg and Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.